0: Genesis chapter 40 Sometime after the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offensive against the lord the king of Egypt And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers The chief cupbearer and the chief baker and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard In the prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh. Officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand. And formerly, when you were his cupbearer, only remember me. When it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh." and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets in my, on my head, and in the utmost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of it, the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him.
1: Chapter 41 After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears and Pharaoh awoke and behold it was a dream so in the morning his spirit was troubled and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men Pharaoh told them his dreams but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh I remember my um, offenses today When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered, Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass seven other cows came up after them poor and very ugly and thin such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt and the thin ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows but when they had eaten them no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were still as ugly as at the beginning then I awoke I also saw in my dreams seven ears growing on one stalk full and good seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears, and I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants and Pharaoh said to his servants can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God then Pharaoh said to Joseph since God has shown you all this there's none so discerning and wise as you are you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command only as regards the throne will I be greater than you and Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt then Pharaoh took his signet for, signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath-Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth.
2: sermon prep never really ends. I had one more verse that it hit me and I wanted to add. And I don't want to forget that it's there. Okay. Cool. Thank you for dealing with the height disparity and all that. That was great reading. I also told her there were no names and there were apparently a few names in there too. All right. All right. I have told this story before, but looking around the room, there are probably only three or four people who were here when I told it last. And I don't tell this story to make any one person who has heard it before look bad. It's just a good example of what we're looking at here in Joseph's life. When you think of being imprisoned, unjustly treated, unfairly, when I was in third grade, <laughs> yes, I'm the victim here. When I was in third grade, I was at lunch one day, and let's just, let's just say this blanket statement, elementary age children are not nice. Can we all agree that elementary age children in general, are not nice. I was was at lunch one day, and some of my friends said, you need to come see this. And I went and looked. They said, so-and-so's parents have put them up for sale. They're selling their children. Come look, there's a for sale sign hanging outside their classroom. And I went, and I looked, and outside it was, Let's get to know Susie Day. And there are her baby pictures. That's all it was. It was, a, here are baby pictures of little Susie. And I said, those are baby pictures. That's all. And I went and sat down. Well, apparently, I didn't give the reaction that the other kids wanted, because right after that, I was, I was approached by the student teacher in my classroom, came up and said, why did you say that? And I said, say what? She said, why did you say that their baby pictures were stupid? I said, I I didn't say that. She said, I don't know that I believe that. I've heard from multiple people that you said those baby pictures are stupid. And she walked away. And then my my teacher came up and said, why would you say that? I have such high expectations for you. I I would not expect to see this come out of you. I said, I didn't. Right after that, a school administrator Second in command of all of the school, who just so happened to be my dad, having heard all of this, came walking out, and I got the, (laughs) in front of everybody in the lunchroom, right? We weren't trauma-informed yet. We also apparently weren't good at asking clarifying questions, but that's fine too. So I stand up. And I go walking into his office where the child whose pictures were hanging on the wall and the child's mom were standing in the office, both in tears, saying, we don't have many baby pictures. I can't believe you would say that. You need to apologize and then feel ashamed, basically, was kind of how I felt. I went back to lunch after apologizing, still very confused, and sat down and immediately burst into tears. My teacher came over and said, what's wrong? I said, this really wasn't the case. None of the, I I was not nearly that eloquent. It was probably more (laughs) something, it was probably more what it sounded like. But in that moment, I, having done nothing wrong, was being put through different levels of punishment, torment, whatever. I did get to drink Mountain Dew that day, I think for the first time, because once all of it came out, Dad was like, oh, hey, sorry about that wants the Mountain Dew. (laughs) So we were totally fine. That fixed literally everything. We got extra, we got extra, we got, he he apologized, we got extra playtime on the playground that afternoon because there was a, there was like an inquiry in our classroom where every person who had been involved, it was, it was a mess. Little did I know it was going to be an amazing sermon illustration, right? So maybe you have felt that way at some point in your life. I'm doing the right thing. Why do bad things continue to happen to me? Or why am I continuing to be left in this place? I'm doing everything the way I'm supposed to be. You're no better than Joseph, right? Think think about Joseph's life up to this point, right? I, ju- I can't help that I'm my dad's favorite kid, but I'm my dad's favorite kid, and he gave me this nice coat because he likes me. Doesn't mean he doesn't like you, just means he likes me more. That's kind of like he hasn't done anything wrong. He, he had a dream that his brothers were going to worship him. So what? Like, but he's not wrong. He is having that dream. God is giving him that vision of the future. He honestly goes up and tells them these things. He makes them angry. His dad says, hey, go check on your brothers for me. They're out with the the flocks. And he goes, and they throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. He he works in the house of Potiphar, and and as he's going about his business, Potiphar's wife tries tries to seduce him and says, hey, Let's, let's, let's be together. And he says, no, you're, 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 you're my boss's wife. No, that's not going to happen. And he runs away. He flees that sin. Exactly like, exactly like we would want to. You're being, you're being tempted to sin and instead you don't, you don't linger. You, you get away. You run. You get as far. He's doing everything right and what happens? She tells lies about him and he's thrown in prison. That's Joseph's life up to this point. And that's where we find him again this morning in Genesis chapter 40. He's, he's still there. Sure, he is, he's risen to prominence. He's getting, he's getting to work and he's getting to be over lots of parts of the prison. And God's continuing to bless him in that. But, but it may seem unfair, right? And maybe you felt that way at some point before. Man, I've done everything right. And yet I'm still going through all of these really horrible situations. I'm still left in this place. I'm still left feeling this pain. I'm still left feeling this discomfort. I'm still being treated unjustly in this way. Joseph continues to do right but continues to be forgotten and punished. E- even again, when, when, when the cupbearer and the baker and they they're, they're in prison and he's interpreting their dreams, he says, "Hey, I'm fine with, like, this is good news for 50% of you. Which I love the way he says that. He's going to lift up your head. It's so poetic. But he says, I, I can interpret these dreams, and they come true. And he says, I don't need anything from you. Just, just remember me. When you go back to Pharaoh, and maybe, maybe mention that I'm here. And what happens? He forgets him again. Again, he's, he's following the will of God. He's giving these interpretations of these dreams. He's attributing every bit of it to God. He's not saying any of it's him. The interpretation of dreams, that comes from God. That's that's not of me. He's, he's, He's rightly attributing all of this blessing, all of this benefit back to God. His heart seems to be in a great place and he keeps getting forgotten. He keeps getting left there. He keeps being stuck. And that seems so unfair. And sometimes we can look at our lives and it's very tempting to say, man, this just doesn't feel right. Man, I shouldn't be in the situation that I'm in. I'm doing so many good things. Or, or man, I gave up that thing that I was doing that, that, was, that was sending me down so many wrong paths or I've gotten away from it or I've, I've gotten in a better community of people. And man, all of that should be changing so many things. I should be in such a better place. But yet I'm not. We don't earn comfort and success purely through what we do. Even when we're doing all the right things, God may still leave us in prison. And that's why it's so tempting to say, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, God will do this. And yes, ultimately, as we follow God, as we pursue God, in the end, we will be blessed by God. If, we are, if, we, if our hearts are His, if we are surrendered to Him, if we are in Christ, when we, when we die, we will get to be with Christ forever. That is blessing. That is a win. That is a good thing. But to get to that, ultimately, it takes death, and sometimes the life you lead up to that might not be one that's purely cushy and purely comfy. God may leave you in prison for years and years and years for something you didn't do. Maybe He leaves you in prison for years and years for something that you did do. It reminds me of and and I mean we all know well, I say we all most of us in here know Jason um, Jason is one of our friends Jason is one of the members of our church who, after struggling with addiction, uh, found himself back in the prison system, uh, incarcerated again and this is not an apples to apples comparison because because Jason absolutely did do The things that have put him in jail. He's absolutely done those things, and he would be the first to tell you. But at the same time, since the time that he's been in there, God has grown him so much, and he's done so many amazing things, and we've seen so much change in his life, and he's done all of these great things and built these great relationships. And yet, when the time for his his hearing came, and we're hoping, oh, he's done all the right things, he's done so much good stuff. This is going to be the time that he's going to finally get out. The judge said, nope, we're leaving him in. He's got to serve all of his time. This feels very familiar. Sometimes, even when our hearts are pursuing God, he may still leave us in prison, literally. Many people throughout the Bible have been treated unfairly, even though their hearts were in the right place. I made a list just to give you an idea. Many of them we've already been studying as we've been going through Genesis. Think about it. Abel gave a a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. What happens? God kills him. Isaac, son of promise. What happens? God says, I want you to go sacrifice him. He didn't think a little bit further ahead Shadrach Meshach Abednego these guys who are wanting to give glory to God but instead get thrown into a, a fiery furnace Job whose heart God said would not waver even if you took everything from and then God took everything from him John the Baptist, who was described by Jesus as no one's heart. No one has been greater than this man. On a whim, beheaded because, he wanted to, because Herod wanted to please somebody who did a dance for him. Just an afterthought. Stephen, preaching the gospel, out, out pursuing the things of God, stoned to death for doing what God had called him to do. Literally all the apostles, all of them, lost their life for continuing to pursue the calling that Jesus had left to them. And then most of all, the one who all of this is about Jesus, who, who had not sinned, who had done everything right, who had never strayed from the will of God, brutally beaten and murdered. And I don't say all this just to be depressing. I don't say all this to make us feel bad. I I say all this to maybe when you're in a rough patch, when you're in a bad place, just because you start doing the right thing doesn't superstitiously mean that everything's going to start going right. Even for all these people whose hearts were in a great place, who were doing the things that God had called them to do, Sometimes they got left in really awful positions. Sometimes they got put through really uncomfortable things. Sometimes they had to give up their lives. But that's what following God can look like. And you may say, but all of these things seem so unfair. All of these evil things that are happening. Are you saying that this is something that God is actually doing to them? He's putting them in prison. He's putting them through these things. Absolutely. Isaiah 45, verse 7 says, I form light And create darkness. I make well being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And so we look at Joseph's life and we're like, man, he keeps getting left there. That seems so unfair that people are being so mean to him. But no, this is also Joseph being put and left in prison because God put and left him in prison. And we need to know that as the church. We have to understand that God is over all of this. God is working in all of this. Because if we lose sight of the fact that God is in charge of this, it becomes so easy to become deflated and defeated, lose sight of everything and say there's no hope for anything. But if we can remember, if we can see that God's hand is in all of this, like like Joseph keeps coming back to, God is still in control. God is still the one who's giving me this interpretation. God is still good. Then then we can endure however long our prison sentence may be, whatever it is that we're, we're trapped in, whatever it is that we can't get released from. We need to have that right perspective of the way that God works around us. And having that right perspective and continuing to have that right perspective uh, continues to allow Joseph to be in the right place, I say that ironically, in the right place at the right time, put by God in the right place at the right time for a specific purpose so that he's ready to hear and interpret these dreams. Dreams have been things that God has been using throughout history to give people a vision of what it is that he's going to do or to give somebody a particular message. Joseph wasn't even the last Israelite to interpret the dream to some foreign king. Think about Daniel, who also was interpreting dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar. Like, like this is a thing that we've seen God do on a recurring basis. And, And all of that, Joseph continues to attribute all of the interpretation back to God. And we still believe that this is a thing that can happen. God can still speak to us in this way. Acts chapter 2, in like one of the best sermons ever preached, uh, starting in verse 17, Peter's Peter's preaching to everybody at Pentecost, and and he's talking about what it'll look like after the Messiah's come, and he's quoting Joel uh, from the Old Testament. He says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In those days, after Christ has come, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, and look at it, he says, Even on my male servants and my female servants, young, old, everybody, Holy, anybody that the Holy Spirit's poured out on, God can, God can give them dreams. God can say, like, this is, this is a way that God speaks to us. We believe that this is real. We don't, we don't look at this and say, this was a magic thing for another time, and it's, a, and it's cool that it happened that way, but God doesn't work that way anymore. No, no, no. We believe that God can still do this. He may not all the time. I'm not saying that means you should expect to go home, take your Sunday afternoon nap that some of you get, and I'm jealous of you. And that God's immediately going to tell you what's going to happen, what you're going to order for dinner tonight in your dream. Like, that's not what I'm saying. It doesn't necessarily work that way. But I am saying that we, we who are filled with the Holy Spirit are still able to receive that kind of level of message from God. And I don't think we should, we should look at this and say, it's really cool that Joseph was able to interpret that dream that time. But I think we should look at it and say, how gracious was it of God to give that message to Joseph in that time? Oh, that God would be that gracious and point us in the same direction. God, show me what your will is. God, teach me something. God, show me where we're supposed to go next. God, show me what it is that you're about to do. And pray and expect that the Holy Spirit in us is going to be able to work in that way. And so Joseph is interpreting all of these dreams. And again, he asks He asks them to remember him and they don't. And he's left in prison for a few more years. Like years. Like you think when you're in elementary school it's bad to like sit through like English class or math class or whatever class it is you don't like for like forty five minutes, you're like, Oh, this is so awful. He's sitting in prison for two more years for something he hasn't done because somebody forgot him yet again. Sometimes we're asked to show a lot of patience as God leaves us in our discomfort. And here's the other thing. We also, in our discomfort, should not try to force ourselves into a place of comfort because God has a way of humbling us. Um, there's, there's a great. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in Luke chapter 14, um, Jesus is telling the story about when you go to a banquet, you shouldn't. The first place you shouldn't try to go is to go sit at you know the seat of the most important person. You shouldn't go sit at the head of the table because then if somebody more important than you shows up, what are they going to say? Get out of that chair. This guy gets to sit there. And by then, probably everybody's filled it in, and you're going to have to go sit at the foot of the table, or you might not even be left with a seat at all. But, Luke 14, starting in verse 10 says, But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So what he's saying is, don't, don't just try to force yourself into a place of importance. Don't try to make yourself feel more comfortable. Don't try to, don't try to force some level of, of, of success or comfort or freedom from, from all of your... Tra- don't, don't try to go out of your way to force something. Sometimes you just have to humbly sit and wait for God to move. And that's kind of the place... Now granted, Joseph's in prison. I get that. Like, he can't really force a whole lot. But he could have raised a whole lot more stink saying, hey, I'm falsely accused... I did this thing for this guy and he's forgotten me. Will somebody go send him a letter and tell him to at least remember me and please try to force Pharaoh to hear who I am? No, he waited patiently, did not lose sight of who God was. And when the time came that God was ready to pull him out, not only did God pull him out of prison, but he put him in the second highest place of political power in the world's superpower, Egypt. Right? He became the second most powerful person only to Pharaoh from prison, a foreigner, is placed in this position of power because God exalted him to that place. No, he didn't walk into prison, so, so it's not like he went and sat at the lowest seat, but, but he patiently, humbly waited for God to work in some sort of miraculous way, which he did, and he was placed in an exalted position. And I'm not saying, again, this isn't isn't prescriptive. This isn't if you go make yourself feel weak and humbled and simple that God will then automatically make you the vice president of the United States. Not saying that. But what I am saying is that God has a way of humbling us when we try to force our level of comfort, when we try to force his hand and when we patiently wait on him, God also seems to have a way of putting us in the place that we ought to be, the place that we want to be, in a place that is satisfying and comforting there. Again, we should take our cue from Jesus also, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, allowing himself to be beaten and mocked and killed, submitting to death, even death on a cross, right? Allowed himself to be humbled so that God could exalt him and glorify him above every name. Give him a name that is above every name so that all the earth should know, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That's my paraphrase of Philippians 2. Right? But that, that's our example Allowing ourselves to be in this place. To recognizing the things that God puts us through sometimes. Knowing that ultimately God is going to do something great through it. And ultimately God will do something that is great and comforting for us. It just may not be here. So the question that I have for you I have two questions one do you recognize what it is that you are imprisoned in and it may not be a physical prison it may not be it, it could be it could be i'm trapped in poverty or i'm trapped in addiction or i'm trapped in some sort of sin and and if and if it is some sort of sin i want to encourage you with the words of Paul who again his heart he his heart was pursuing Jesus. He knew what it was that he was called to and he wholeheartedly went after it. But even still in Romans chapter 7 verse 18 and 19. This one's not going to be up on the screen because I just added it. He says, "For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Even Paul still felt trapped in his own sin. And that may be where you are, too. You may feel imprisoned in your own sin. You may feel imprisoned in some sort of actual place. I am trapped and I cannot get out of this and I feel awful while I am here. God, please save me. It may be the place you live. It may be the place you work. It may be the place you study. It may be the place that that your family is. It may be the relationships that you have. And for whatever reason, You feel like there is no hope, no way out, and that even though you're doing everything that you feel God would want you to do, you're pursuing pursuing the word of God, you're trying to to apply it to your life, and yet God is leaving you there. So question one, what is that thing that you are trapped in? Because I would imagine we can all come up with something in our lives that we feel like, man, I just feel like, I'm doing everything the way I should be. Why am I still here? Second question. Have you lost sight of God in that? Or have you ever had him in your gaze? Because that's the whole point. That's the thing that I want us to see in Joseph's life is that even through all of this, his hope in God never wavered even though it kept getting worse and worse and worse, he never lost sight of the fact that God was the one who was at work in all of this. If you're saved, that's my question to you. Are you in that position where, even though you feel trapped in whatever it may be, have you, have you lost sight of the fact that God might have you there for a reason? Have you, have you patiently and graciously accepted where God has placed you and said, God be glorified because I know he's doing something here right right now with me? Or have you gotten frustrated, angry, discouraged? Have you begun to want to let go and say, man, if he's going to leave me here, then this is no good? need to know this if you've never if you've never surrendered your life to Christ and you feel trapped and you may think that why would I want to follow a God who's got me in this place or look at all the evil that's going on in the world why would I want to love a God like that well I would say because that's the only God that there is and that God uses those bad things and uses that evil for good Ultimately for his glory, but for those who are in Christ, he uses it for their good as well. Sure, it might be uncomfortable now. It might be bad in the short term. But if you know the end, if you know where this ends up, this is the best thing that you can hear. This is the best thing that we can know. So if you're resistant and you're like, man, you read that verse about God saying he creates calamity. He creates evil. He creates good. He creates bad. He's the one who brings... The rain, he's the one who brings the storms. He's the one who creates the famine. Right? Think about what Joseph said. Then in seven years, God is going to bring a famine. God is going to cause this great need throughout all the world. Why? So that he could build up Egypt. Because Egypt's going to have the inside track they're going to know oh we should save up they're going to be the only ones we're going to, we're going to look at this next week they're going to be the only ones that have any food and everybody from around the world's going to come trade with egypt and egypt's going to make a whole lot of money and they're going to get super wealthy and they're going to have all sorts of resources I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the next book. We're not, we're not studying Exodus after this, but, but, but if you keep reading into Exodus, why? why does God build Egypt up? Because he needs a safe place to grow his people. He needs a safe place to send the Israelites so that they can develop and grow into a great nation. It needs a large, strong Egypt to send Israel into to kind of serve as an incubator for them. God knows this. And God's doing all this. God's causing famine throughout the world so that He can grow the nation of Israel so that He can give us Jesus. So that He can save us and and restore us back to Him. God is at work in all of this, even when things are bad, even when everything is falling apart, even when we have hurricane after hurricane barreling toward us. God is in control of all of that. And we need to understand that and not just understand it, but appreciate that God is in control of that and love him in the way that he continues to work. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for those of us who are in Christ, that he would give us a real glimpse into where our hearts are in perspective of the way that God is working around us, the places that he has us. Uh, but if you're not in Christ, if you are not saved, if you have not, if, it, it, like, like, Pete, like Peter said, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you aren't calling upon the name of the Lord, if you have not called upon the name of the Lord, if you are not in Christ, I'm going to pray that you see that God is in control and that he's the one that you need to be relying on, even if everything's bad. I'm not, and again, I'm not here to offer you false hope in a, and if you call upon the name of the Lord, everything's going to be great. in the short term. It will. It will. It's going to be really good. It's going to be great because we get to be with Jesus. But I want you to know him and know the family of God that you're adopted into and have right perspective so that when you see all these bad things, you're not disheartened, but instead encouraged that God is in control of all of it and that we can trust him and place our hope in him. Let's pray.